What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. In 2023, post the 2020 rebellions in response to the murder of George Floyd, law enforcement in this country killed the highest number of people on record yet, 1,152 folks. So far in 2024, law enforcement has already murdered 51 people. And we don't even know most of their names. There were no marches, rallies, rebellions, or hashtags for them. Most of their families grieved in silence and solitude. Police murders are just the tip of an egregious iceberg of transgressions against our people. Law enforcement serves as a militarized occupying army in our communities and our neighborhoods. They racially profile, sexually assault, and wrongfully incarcerate our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So, Law and Disorder is committed to providing regular Thursday roundups of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose agitate and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of January 22nd, 2024. Wasn't sure if this story should make me laugh maniacally or scream, but we're starting this week's Roundup off with a zinger. A former Santa Clara County Sheriff's deputy was convicted last week of charges related to false claims he made about getting shot in a drive-by shooting near Morgan Hill. On January 31st, 2020, Sung Deep Gill radioed, Shots fired! Shots fired! Officers responded from the sheriff's office as well as the San Jose, Morgan Hill, and Gilroy Police Departments. Oh my God, y'all, the wasted taxpayer dollars for this level of response. Initially, police began to look at this as a possible hate crime because Gill wears a turban. Gill told an officer that he had parked on the dirt shoulder to urinate during a routine patrol. I'm sorry, wait, what? He parked on the side of the road to urinate. Is that legal? He went on to say that while walking back towards his patrol car, he was shot at by the passenger in a silver sedan that had turned off its lights as it approached him. Gil claimed to have fired two shots towards what we now know was a non-existent sedan, which fled. Gill was not injured and, as it turned out, had not been shot at all. The investigation found that he, Gill himself, in fact, had shot at his own body-worn camera and patrol car. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Gill pleaded guilty to vandalism and the crime of false report of an emergency in exchange for the court's offer of 150 hours of community service, payment of restitution, and the surrender of Gill's Certification to the Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training or POST. This permanently prevents Gill, thank God, from acting as a peace officer in California ever again. This, by the way, is only possible because of community efforts that passed SB2, California's decertification bill. The judge in the case reduced Gill's felony vandalism charge to a misdemeanor. Of course he did. Would it be nice if cops faced the same consequences as the rest of us? Source, Fox News, KTVU. Far too many responses by law enforcement to domestic violence situations end up in death. Deaths caused by law enforcement's response. And it happened again on December 4th when Niani 
Finlayson called the authorities during a domestic incident, saying her boyfriend would not leave her home. An audio later released by the sheriff's department from the 911 call, Finlayson can be heard shouting for help, screaming on the call and repeatedly telling a man to get off of her. The L.A. County Sheriff's Department responded. Their body cam footage shows the woman holding a kitchen knife and her daughter telling the cops the man had pushed her. Finlayson grabbed the man while holding the knife. She told the police she was going to stab him because he'd harmed her nine-year-old child that evening. Deputy Ty Shelton fired four shots within seconds of arriving inside, killing Finlayson in front of her daughter. Finlayson's family and lawyers and BLM grassroots and me, by the by, want to know why officers at the scene did not de-escalate the situation. Video shows Shelton entering the apartment holding both a stun gun and a firearm. The woman's father said his daughter aspired to be a nurse and that she loved her two daughters and her family. He also said he wanted her to live with her two children in Lancaster to avoid volatile encounters with police. Nearly four years ago, this same cop, Shelton, killed Michael Thomas, a black man, also while responding to a 911 call for domestic violence. Source, Philip Jackson, The Huffington Post. The Civilian Complaint Review Board, a watchdog group overseeing misconduct by the New York Police Department and its officers, last year saw a major jump in complaints from people across the city saying cops mistreated them. According to the CCRB, there were more than 5,600 complaints in 2023. That's about 1,900 more than the previous year and marks a 51% increase compared with 2022. The last time the CCRB saw so many complaints about NYPD officers behavior was in 2012 when the agency took more than 5,700 complaints. Source, Spectrum News 1, New York. Last year, following the murder of Keenan Anderson in January, a black man who went into cardiac arrest and died after LAPD officers tased him repeatedly and two other black men in the middle of a mental health crisis were killed by Los Angeles police. Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and Black Lives Matter Grassroots led the charge to demand that the Los Angeles police chief, Michael Moore, step down. His first term was almost up and the community implored Mayor Karen Bass to not reappoint him. Bass did not listen. A month ago, not long after the news broke that this same police chief, Michael Moore, who'd been reappointed by Karen Bass, was supposedly ordering a probe of Bass's scholarship to USC. Another group of black folks, this time religious and civic leaders, gathered at a church in South LA to make similar demands. They defended the mayor and claimed that Moore's probe was based on a personal agenda. Bass again did not respond. So imagine the whiplash in Los Angeles when last week, Mayor Bass and Chief Moore held a press conference announcing he was, wait for it, stepping down. The story the two of them presented is that he wanted to spend more time with his family, but the people think the real reason he is checking out is that he crossed Bass. What's more, under Chief Moore, there has been a string of cases involving officer misconduct, from the gang unit cops accused of stealing and making illegal stops, to the assistant chief accused of tracking an officer with whom he'd been involved romantically. Before that, there was the sloppy work that led uh, an LAPD bomb squad to accidentally blow up an entire South LA neighborhood in 2021. Dr. Melina Abdullah of BLM Grassroots and BLM Los Angeles is one of Moore's fiercest critics. She believes it was, quote, the people, end quote, the fed up residents of Los Angeles who forced the chief's resignation. 
Source, Erica Smith, The Los Angeles Times. Back to Denver, you all. We've had a lot of Denver stories. This time, Brandon Ramos, a Denver police officer who fired at an armed man in the street as a crowd of people poured out of nightclubs in downtown Denver, wounding six bystanders, pled guilty last week to third-degree assault, a misdemeanor. Under the terms of the plea agreement, he faced up to one year in jail, but instead... He was sentenced to 18 months of probation and will no longer be qualified to serve as a cop. Story said peace officer, cop. Ramos originally faced 14 charges, including a top charge of second-degree assault, which carries a sentence up to six years in prison after a grand jury indicted him. Those charges, however, of course, were dismissed under the agreement. Our justice system at its finest. Let me ask you listeners, what do you think would happen to you should you have shot six people outside of a nightclub? And I'm sorry, where in anyone's right mind does that make sense? You trying to stop a gunman from shooting a crowd of people by shooting the people in the crowd, banging my head into the wall. The July 2022 shooting sparked outrage across the city after surveillance and body camera footage showed dozens of people scattering to the street and some crawling across the sidewalk trying to seek cover behind a food truck when Ramos and two other genius Denver police officers fired seven rounds at 21-year-old Jordan Wadi. As I mentioned earlier, six bystanders were hurt with injuries ranging from superficial cuts and grazed wounds to more serious arm and leg injuries, hoping everybody recovers quickly. Source, Andrea Prentzel, The Colorado Sun. This past Monday, as part of the Anti-Police Terror Project's Reclaim the radical legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Week, 12 families who have lost loved ones to police violence rallied outside of A.G. Bonta's office to demand he live up to his campaign promise to hold killer cops accountable. The families included Derek Benson, brother of Darnell Benson, murdered by San Francisco PD in 2015. Amanda Blanco, sister of Eric Salgado, murdered by the California Highway Patrol in 2020 in Oakland. Cheryl Cruz, mother of Lorenzo Cruz, murdered by Rockland Police in 2017. Denise Friday, mother of Colby Friday, murdered by Stockton Police in 2016. Addie Kitchen, grandmother of Stephen Taylor, murdered by San Leandro Police in 2020. Terry Lovett, mother of Delani Lovett, killed in Los Angeles County Sheriff's custody in 2021. Michelle and Ashley Monterosa, sisters of Sean Monterosa, murdered by Vallejo PD in 2020. Cynthia Nunez, cousin of Augustine Agui Gonzalez, murdered by Hayward Police in 2018. Carolyn Wichman, mother of Edward Eddie Zamora Duran II, murdered by San Luis Obispo Police in 2021. Catherine Wade, mother of Malad R. Baldwin, who was murdered by Antioch Police in 2021. And Matt Chang, brother of Errol Chang, murdered by Pacifica Police and the Daily City SWAT team in 2014. And Marcy Jones, mother of Jory Lester, murdered by Stockton Police in 2023. AG Rob Bonter ran on a platform of police accountability, but since his time in office, families who have experienced this type of loss have found his office negligent in fulfilling that promise and negligent in engaging with them at all. On Monday, the families demanded one, 
an oversight committee of the AG's office to introduce transparency and accountability in cases involving police violence. Two, citizen oversight for cases involving police-related terror to guarantee thorough and impartial investigations. Three, state provided legal counsel for families. Families are calling on the state to provide legal counsel to families affected by police violence, similar to Washington State's accountability law. Four, state funding for mental health and social services for families who have lost loved ones to police violence. Monday's press conference in action is the launch of a statewide campaign led by impacted families that are part of the anti-police terror project to ensure they are not forgotten and the state fulfills its duty to make an attempt to repair the harm called by the agents it employs by meeting their demands. And in Louisiana, Hammond, Louisiana, after releasing body-worn camera footage from a Hammond police officer-involved shooting during the summer, the Hammond police chief and the Hammond city officials have still declined to answer a local news outlet's questions about if the shooting was justified and if proper procedures were followed. On July 15th, the Hammond Police Department sent a press release saying there was an officer-involved shooting while multiple officers executed in a cardiac-based search warrant and a person was taken to the hospital. Two days later, the police department sent an update saying the man, 41-year-old Lionel Jackson, was shot and would be booked for multiple drug-related charges after his release from a hospital. Last week, the news outlet WBRZ's investigative unit obtained body cam footage from the morning Jackson was shot. The officer in question, Craig Dunn, led a team of officers through Jackson's trailer home into his bedroom, where Dunn leaned into the darkened doorway and fired one shot towards Jackson's bed. After the gunfire, body cam video goes on to show Jackson with his hands up, moving from his bed to the bedroom floor while bleeding from his neck. Jackson's attorney, Daryl Washington, has said his client was unarmed and the shooting was unjustifiable. Jackson was in the hospital for more than a week and a half and had three surgeries. After Jackson's release, more than a dozen residents in Hammond participated in a protest, marching from the town city hall to the police station to demand answers about Jackson's shooting. What's more, the officer that fired the shot, Dunn, is the nephew of the police chief, and the community is wondering if this is why no one can get straight answers. Dunn has answered, like so many do, that he thought the man was holding a gun and he feared for his life. And as so often happens, turns out the man was holding a cell phone. We've heard that before. Rise in power, Stefan Clark. Dunn was wearing a body camera, but <laughs> it wasn't turned on. Source WBRZ. Our last story is international, looking at France again, when a French police officer was found guilty last week of assaulting Theo Luhaka, a 22-year-old black man, during a 2017 identity check that led to his arrest. Lawyers on both sides left the courthouse claiming victory in one of France's most publicized cases of police abuse. Mr. Luhaka was officially recognized as a victim of police brutality after a seven-year legal ordeal. But the officer received only a one-year suspended sentence and was cleared of a more serious charge that he had permanently mutilated Mr. Luhaka. One of them thrust a baton at Mr. Luhaka's upper thigh and caused a four-inch tear into his rectum. The incident triggered several days of protest and rebellion, pushed Francois Holland, then France's president, who was a socialist, to visit Mr. Luhaka in the hospital and led Emmanuel Macron, then a presidential candidate, to promise he would create a police force better attuned to local communities. 
Seven years later, though, change hasn't come. Remember the week of rebellions last year after cops murdered Mahel Merzouk, a 17-year-old French citizen of North African descent during a traffic stop? And remember, in response to those rebellions that happened because of the murder of that 17-year-old, the French government tried to ban protests around the issue of police violence. Quite the turnaround for Macron. He and his administration now dismiss accusations of systemic problems with racism and violence among the police in France. And in 2020, the government softened key provisions of a proposal to ban chokeholds during arrest. 2020 is, of course, the summer that we saw rebellions all over the world in response to the murder of George Floyd. At the same time, numerous cases involving police violence spend years waiting to get to trial, and in most cases, cops are never charged at all. Source, Aurelian Fredin, The New York Times. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of January 21st, 2024. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 90s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. A shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, for helping me curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>